This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Alrighty, good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I hope you had a good day at work, or perhaps you were off work today and you're just sitting back and relaxing and enjoying your day. Well, I'm the host here of the Redeeming the Time radio program. My name is Chris Macy, and I'm also the minister with the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cave Creek, Arizona. And today I want us to talk about wisdom. Wisdom. That word, wisdom, isn't that a lofty term? Kind of transcends the ordinary, you know. To, to say someone is wise or that someone possesses wisdom suggests what? That they, in some way, have risen above the ordinary to a higher level of insight. Don't you think? Because don't, don't, don't we think that those possessing wisdom as being more sophisticated or or perhaps in possession of greater knowledge than the common man, just to speak the word. Wisdom is to move the mind in an upward direction. Wisdom is something sought after, and those who achieve it are considered to have ascended to the more admirable levels of human existence. There is an exclusiveness about this word. Wisdom. Although available to everyone, it is not within reach of everyone. So those who do achieve it are seen as a cut above. That's according to Guy Orbison Jr. of the Working in the Word, a publication he puts out every month or for years or decades now. And I want us to talk about this word, wisdom, from James's letter, James chapter 3. So... If you're sitting at home and you want to follow along, turn to James chapter 3. If you're driving, don't turn to James chapter 3. I will read it out loud for you. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. In James chapter 3, we're starting in verse 13. It says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In this text... James points out that wisdom may have two meanings, or or better to say it, there are two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom, and then there's wisdom, and there's a difference. He's talking about wisdom from above, and also a wisdom not from above. And he starts off this discussion 
with a really challenging question. Who among you is wise and understanding? That's there in verse 13. You could paraphrase uh, uh, this question with this. Some of you think you are wise and understanding, but are you really? I think what he's got in mind here is that these teachers and these leaders of these congregations think that they have understanding, think that they are wise, but really their wisdom is not all that much to talk about because they've been abusing the tongue. That's from chapter 3, verses 2 to 12. Teachers, of course, are capable of dividing congregations. And this seems to be on James's mind as he speaks here of jealousy and selfish ambition. That leads to disorder and every kind or every evil thing. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he continues to address these quarrels and strife that seem to be prevalent in the congregation. All of this suggests that he may have in mind teachers who think they are wise, who think they have understanding, but who have disrupted the unity of God's people. So, bear in mind that as James talks about these two kinds of wisdom, it is in the context of a church being dis- having disunity, and they have division, and James is showing why there is division. And it is usually instigated by those who think. They think they are wise. They think they have understanding. And really, they don't. That word understanding there in the James chapter 3, or here in James 3, can also suggest this. It is, uh, um, well, let me, let me go here. We only find the Greek word here is only found here in James. But in classical Greek, that is, things outside of the Bible, uh, other writings from that time period, it, it meant for a person who has, who is skilled or a person who had signed, who was, had scientific study, they were a person of understanding as opposed to someone who had no special knowledge or training. And this might be the point that James is getting at. To teachers who have special training... So James seems to be have people in mind who have elevated themselves above others, claiming to have more knowledge or claiming to have more insight, and yet these are the very ones causing disunity. However, his application seems to apply to all people, not, not just to a select few. Don't think that, well, this isn't about me. This is about teachers only. This could be you too. It depends on where you're gaining your wisdom. You know, certainly we all hold to some teachings as the truth and consider others to be wrong if they don't hold to that same conviction we have. This would make us the wise and understanding. But James is asking, well, who really is the wise and understanding among us? Some who think they possess wisdom may not actually have the wisdom from above. And to possess wisdom may not actually you know, mean that you really are looking at things from the perspective of God. To possess only the wisdom that is not from above is really not to be wise at all. So the answer to James's question about who is wise has to do with your conduct. We exhibit whether or not we are truly wise by our deeds. He could be implying this. Can we truly be counted among the wise if our actions lead to division. Hmm? So James says, 
Let him, the one who thinks he's wise, the one who thinks he has understanding, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. So there's two aspects of conduct standing out in this one statement. One, good behavior. Does a person claiming to be wise exhibit a well-lived life? True wisdom, the wisdom that's from above, will show itself by the deeds of a proper lifestyle. The second aspect of the conduct of the wise is that they will conduct themselves in a manner of gentleness. Now, gentleness is derived from wisdom. If they have true wisdom, it would be derived from wisdom. So gentleness is the way we conduct ourselves, isn't it? If we are are truly wise, it is a term that's often translated as meekness. You know, that means to have power, but power that's brought under control. So the truly wise man is not one who attempts to ride, you know, roughshod over the faith of others. He certainly stands for what is right, but he does so in a kind and gentle manner. Gentleness is especially needed in potential conflict situations. True wisdom will display itself in gentle treatment of others, the opposite of good behavior. And gentleness is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Exhibiting these would indicate that your claim to be wise and understanding is without foundation. Having bitter jealousy, having selfish ambition in your heart, will always be manifested in your behavior in negative ways, by improper actions toward others. These characteristics will never produce gentleness within a person and therefore exhibit the claim to be wise as being invalid. Let's look at that phrase, bitter jealousy. It comes from two terms in the Greek that speak of rivalry. Rivalry. We may say that this person is jealous for the truth. But in his defense of it, he tends to exhibit bitterness, rigidity. You know, he's rigid. Rigidity, is that a word? And a personal pride, which are all far from the truth. Any teacher, or really any Christian for that, that matter, who harbors a kind of rivalry attitude in his heart, will usually say something that promotes strife among the brethren. Selfish ambition is a term that has to do with the party spirit. It may refer to attitudes of teachers who promote themselves above others, thinking themselves to be the, the only ones who are wise and understanding. Or it, it could refer to anyone. Anyone who wants to make a name for them, himself or herself by putting down the opposition. You know, the Apostle Paul was, was a good uh, example of this when he was still in Judaism. Before he became a Christian, he was loyal to his Jewish party. He was intent on destroying Christianity, and he didn't care how it was done. As long as it was, as long as it was done, he was unwilling to listen to any man for the truth. Truth was not going to penetrate him. Christ had to appear to him on the road to Damascus, blind him, and make him realize, buddy, you're wrong. You are kicking against the gorge. What are you doing? And, of course, you know, when he was confronted with the truth that was just nothing he could do about it, he had, he had to come around. But no man could have done that. The rest of our text 
makes a comparison of the two types of wisdom that are out there. And James indicates that we may know if we are truly wise and if we truly have understanding, if if we exhibit the characteristics of the wisdom from above and see the positive results that come from it. But he begins with a look at the wisdom that's not from above there in verses 15 and 16. There are three characteristics for this. Earthly, natural, and demonic. Let's look at these. Earthly. Uh, Describing it that way, James is saying that it is not from God. And so this earthly wisdom consists of having only an earthly perspective of things. Some people live only for the here and now. So their whole ambition in life is to really enhance their earthly well-being. They have no thought of heaven, no interest in spiritual things. Why? Religion doesn't advance them in their pursuit of this world. Certainly these people exhibit selfish ambition and uh, will not deal gently with those around them. They make the world out to be a dog-eat-dog kind of existence. And it's every man for himself. That's the wisdom, not from above earthly. Number two, natural. This term is derived from the Greek word for soul, which simply refers to one's life. Paul uses the term in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in contrast to the word spiritual. Both Paul and James are suggesting that this is the kind of man that measures everything by their physical standards, which renders him incapable of understanding spiritual things. He's a fellow who answers the question about the origin of the earth by saying, well, it just evolved through a series of happenstance or billions and billions of years, whatever they might say. They mock the miracles of the Bible. They, they say it's unscientific and therefore bogus. Their perspective on life is determined by the way they see and explain every aspect of our existence. To them, there is no God. Therefore, the only standard of right and wrong is what man determines, natural, earthly, and then finally demonic. And with this term, we move even further away from true wisdom. This refers to someone who thinks just like the devil. The word demonic is associated with Satan, who is the ruler of demons, and this is a way of thinking which is intent on corruption and deception. It is a person who has no moral base and no hint of godliness within them. They are intent on doing evil because it pleases them. And they don't care, not for the consequences of of, of their actions as they affect other people. Their perspective on life is the same as the devil and those who serve him. They live for the moment. They live for themselves. Certainly not wisdom from above. So you got those three things. Those are three characteristics of wisdom that's not from above. It's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic, and all those things are about selfishness, you know, uh, and ambition. And James uh, goes from here to the result of this kind of wisdom, and there in verse 16, where he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, that just means whenever anyone conducts themselves in accordance with wisdom that's not from above, you're going to find these results. And here they are, laid out for us. Number one, disorder. And this word refers to instability, a state of confusion, disturbance, a disarray. It is obvious. It is obvious that when you have the rivalry and the party spirit, the church will experience disunity and disturbance. 
Church splits are often the result of leaders who think they are so wise, who think they, are, they have so much understanding, but they exhibit that earthly, demonic behavior in the way they conduct themselves. We can, we can conclude that whenever we see the disorder among Christians who engage in splitting congregations, chances are they're not exhibiting a wisdom from above, but are following that earthly perspective. A second result is every evil thing. This just about covers every possibility that is negative and ungodly, right? The word evil means good for nothingness, with no possibility of any good ever coming forth from it. In other words, all that is evil in the world is derived from earthly wisdom, not heavenly, and that absolutely nothing of any ultimate good results from human wisdom. That's the wisdom that's not from above. Now, verses 17 and 18, we have the wisdom from above, and there's seven characteristics of this wisdom. Seven. Seven being God's will for man on earth. That's how the Jews saw the numbering. And the first one is pure. Simply means to be without defilement. Since true wisdom is exhibited in our behavior, the impurity of conduct tops the list. There is no sin or impurity in God. And we must strive for this same kind of characteristic if we are operating under God's wisdom or perspective. Peaceable, that's number two. This is the opposite of the disorder that James mentioned as a result of the wisdom that is not from above. Christians who operate in this world in peaceable ways, are striving to live harmoniously with their neighbors, their family, and their church. But it is not easy to promote peace. Some folks are just not interested in peace. But Paul exhorts us in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, right? We are now living out some horrible things that are going on in the fellowship where peace is becoming difficult. But as far as it depends on us, let us strive to make peace. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And what was the, uh, the other one was pure. That's Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So you had the same ideas uh, coming out there in the Beatitudes. Number three, gentle, also in the Beatitudes. To be gentle means that you don't need to insist on your rights. It is the absence of bad manners and a quick temper. It is the ability to exhibit meekness and forbearance. You may remember when David was making his escape from his son Absalom. You remember when he was uh, his son was trying to take over the kingdom, and so David was on his way out with his men, and this fella comes out. He encounters this man Shimei, I think his name is who follows the group, and he's cursing David. He's throwing rocks at him. And one of David's soldiers comes up and says, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and now and cut off his head. David responds, this is 2 Samuel 16, 9 and, and following. David responded, Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more now this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him, perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. 
David's uh, friend, that soldier, was operating on the level of the wisdom from below. David was a man after God's own heart. He was being gentle. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Reasonable. This is the opposite of someone who is dogmatic and unyielding in their dealings with people. Reasonable people are not selfishly ambitious. They have a different perspective on life. An unreasonable person is one who is, well, self-absorbed. Having the wisdom from above enables us to have a realistic perspective on ourselves. We are nothing special. We are not above other people. So being reasonable is a wise way to conduct ourselves. Full of mercy and good fruits is number five. To have mercy is to have compassion. And the good fruits are the good efforts we put forth to help others because we are merciful or compassionate. Mercy means to withhold what people actually deserve. If you plead for the mercy of the court, what are you saying? I know I'm guilty, but please don't give me what I deserve. And it also means that we reach out and help those who are destitute. It's not that some law requires us to help them or that they deserve our help, but out of our own sense of compassion, we assist in any way we can. Mercy will produce good fruit, won't it? Like the good Samaritan. Remember that story about the guy who got beaten half to death, left on the side of the road? Priest comes by, he passes him, doesn't do a thing. A Levite doesn't do anything. And this Samaritan, and the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. This guy comes along, and he has mercy upon him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, Matthew 5, 7. If you want to receive mercy, you better extend it. That's operating by the wisdom from above, isn't it? Don't you think? Number six, unwavering. This is the only occasion in the New Testament where this Greek word is used. That happens a lot in the, the letter from James. Literally, it means, that word unwavering, literally means not divided. It is a person who does not vacillate back and forth, being divided in his own mind or in their own thinking. They are nonpartisan, partisan in their treatment of people. A man who is unwavering will keep his word. If he says he'll do something, you can take it to the bank. Even if it costs this guy more than he originally thought. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's unwavering. Jesus taught us to be unwavering in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, he said, let your yes be yes. In other words, if you say yes to something, let it mean yes. If you say no to something, let it mean no. Keep your word. Keep your word. Number seven, without hypocrisy. The hypocrite puts on an act. That's the way of the world, but not the conduct of someone who possesses the wisdom from above. In the Greek, the term is usually the word for actor. In Greek plays, the actor would certainly be pretending to be something they, they really weren't. They would wear a mask. They would act differently. They would be another person who they are not. Some wear the mask of Christianity, but are really something else. The opposite of hypocrisy is to be yourself, to present yourself to others as you really are. One of the high-profile examples of hypocrisy was the Apostle Peter 
in Galatians, uh, was that chapter 2, where he refused to eat with the Gentiles. Man, what a hypocrite. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and read Galatians chapter 2. You'll see what I'm talking about. Ma Jesus says in a Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. In other words, you don't put on a show so that people will think you are really religious when you're not. Don't be a hypocrite. The results of this kind of wisdom are given in verse 18. The wording of this verse is a little awkward, but it says this. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James, I think, has in mind that the seed here is the word of God, as Jesus used the same imagery in the, the parable of the sower. Che teachers are to sow the seed in the hearts of men. And Jesus noted that there are different kinds of soil into which the seed is sown, and there are different kinds of hearts in, in men with differing levels of acceptance for the word. Sowing the seed is teaching the word, and that should result in righteousness or in our having a right relationship with God. But the teaching of some of these folks being addressed by James is causing conflict. It's causing division. And so he reminds them that it must be sown in peace by people who are committed to peace and not division. What are we going to do with this passage? Let us remember that true wisdom seeks peace. Let us remember that true wisdom does not exalt itself. And let us remember that whenever we have conflict in a congregation, we need to slow down and ask ourselves, are we exhibiting conduct according to the wisdom of God or is the wisdom of the world? It is an ongoing struggle for us to overcome the perspectives of the world and see things through the, uh, the perspective of God. Let's not get sucked into and caught up in the wisdom of men, but let us be always caught up in the word of God. Let us make the most of every opportunity afforded to us. We have all this time to study. Use it to get to know the word of God to change or really renew the mind and, and heart into being in conformity with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for being here with us. If you want to catch this episode online, you can do so at www.nbcoc.net and click on the radio mic and you can listen to this episode and all our previous episodes as well. Thank you very much and have a blessed day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.